With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Uh, Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Um, it is July 22nd. Um, this is our, I believe, our 29th podcast. Rolling up on 30 here uh, pretty soon. <laughs> um, but the... Uh, yeah, the big the big uh, things that we want to talk on t- today. Um, obviously, the NBA summer league wrapped up um, over the last couple of days. I believe it wrapped up Monday, and um, a lot of scheduling announcements coming out um, over the last week or so. Touch on some of those, some of the issues with scheduling, um, advantages, disadvantages to who you schedule. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd I'd like to say there's a there's a ton going on in the Big Ten basketball world right now. But um, outside of the recruiting trail, there isn't a ton um, going on. This is sort of the the real quiet part of the year before things start getting rolling for the fall. Um, and I'm you know the college campuses really start getting active uh, with football season rolling <laughs> up. Um, but we have uh, one of our writers on here today. Um, we have Tim with us. Um, Tim, how are you doing? I'm doing real good, Thomas. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. And uh, why, why don't you take a second to introduce yourself uh, to our listeners? Oh, okay. My name's Tim Longevin. Uh, I've been sports writing for 10, 15 years. I hooked up with you guys in April, and it's really been a fun, fun time, uh, mainly dealing with recruiting. I, I've always had a knack for recruiting. I enjoy watching and seeing these young kids develop and get their first offer or get their, you know, make their first commitment in front of their high school student body. It's just an exciting thing to cover. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And, um, you know, obviously we're writing the the harder things here in the summer and, and I'd recommend uh, to everyone, uh, Tim's been having a uh, sort of Friday morning roundup about uh, what's going on. Um, I know it's sort of like a full-time job to keep up with one team, and uh, Tim's been doing it with all 14 teams, so I highly recommend everyone check that out on uh, Friday mornings. Um, But, yeah, why why don't we jump (laughs) Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I appreciate the plug. I need all the hits we can get here during the slow months. (laughs) Definitely. Um, But, but yeah, why? Why don't we jump right in here to the the nitty gritty of our our topic here today? Um, talking about the NBA Summer League, um, you know the Big Ten. It's it's been one of the generally it's one of the better conferences in basketball. But the last couple of years, it's really been um, elite. And there's an argument, maybe not this year, but the couple of years before that, it was the best conference in basketball. Um, and I think you're really starting to see the effects of that with a lot of guys in the summer league, either as draft picks or, you know, guys trying to make rosters. Um, I, I think I, we were over 20 player. The big 10 had over 20 players. I don't remember the exact number, but there were a lot. Um, Tim, what, what yeah. were your general reactions to the, uh, the summer league um, this year? Yeah. 
yeah. Um, I haven't been following it quite as closely as I'd like to because I've been busy with recruiting, but I've been following your recaps, your daily recaps, and I think we're looking at like 25 to 30 Big Ten prospects that are, are, are currently playing, you know, playing in the NBA Summer League. Uh, one name that I noticed that really has stood out for me is uh, Taron Petaway. Uh, he's with the Atlanta Hawks. He's just been uh, really spectacular. I mean, he's scoring Keeney at 14 points, nine rebounds. Uh, the, the next day he had uh, only seven points, three rebounds. But, I mean, his name is up there constantly. And uh, that that that's one name, you know. And did he sign, Thomas? Did he did he get a deal or or not? Has he hooked up with anybody yet? Uh, Petaway, are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, no. As far as I'm aware, he hasn't been signed. I know there's been kind of some rumblings that he could make a roster, but I don't think he has been officially signed at this point. Okay. Okay. And then uh, I'm not familiar. You know, Glenn Robinson the third has really come on strong, which you know would will help his what free agency down the road. Uh, I thought Adrian Payne gained some valuable minutes this summer, and he's starting to come into form. And I think he's going to have a good season for the Timberwolves this year. Uh, let's yeah. See who else? You know. <laughs> Well, yeah, what's I, your and then of course, yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah, I agree. Um, I'm happy you brought up Adrian Payne because he's he's a guy who really I think a lot of Big Ten fans have kind of forgot about. Um, you know, not that he's played bad, but he kind he got traded from Atlanta to Minnesota, and now he's behind um Carl Towns, who they just drafted. Um, you know, they have Wiggins there, who got traded from Cleveland. And I think a lot of people forget they also have Adrian Payne over there, who was also a first-round pick, and he uh, yeah. had a really he had a really nice summer. You know, I don't know if his, you know, I, I hate to speculate too much, but um, I don't know if his long-term spot is in Minnesota, but it definitely looks like he's going to not only be a player in the league, but could potentially be a a contributor. Yeah, yeah, I, I that Minnesota team is going to be fun to watch this year. They really are, but uh, yeah, and then of course Glenn Robinson's just been playing spectacular. But what I'm curious to find out is uh, Shannon Scott. I'm a Buckeye fan, so he he's been spotty at times. Well, well you you've been following it closer than I have. What's your take on Shannon Scott? You know, Scott's an interesting one. Um, he, I, I, I think he, he's a guy who he could be. You know, your, you know, not to minimize him, I think he could be your last guy on the roster if you need a point guard who you think you can take off the bench, run the offense efficiently. You know, he's not going to light up the score, the scoreboard, um, not turn over the ball, and obviously, you know, he's a great defender. He, he's a little smaller in terms of NBA size, but um. You know, how I kind of see him right now, um, especially, I, you you hate to, I mean, to go back generally, you hate to lock a guy in with the summer league team they're on because sometimes other teams mm-hmm. can come out and really express interest. But being on the Spurs, the Spurs typically like to stash guys overseas. 
Um, I know they did it with Deshaun Thomas a couple years ago. And I have a feeling that Scott is going to play overseas this year. And then next summer will be the summer to tell whether he can really land on a roster um, and stay for the future. But, um, you know, if he could develop, you know, maybe an outside shot or um, a little more strength, you know, maybe he could land on a roster. Um, Definitely uh, some potential there, I would think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his stats are kind of deceiving. I, I mean, he's not a high scorer. He'll score two points, three rebounds, three steals. Another summer league game, he had 2.6 rebounds, four assists, three steals. He, he just kind of does a little of everything. He, uh, but, yeah, he's not a really high scorer, that's for sure. So we'll, we'll yeah. see. I'm always pulling for Buckeyes. That's just me. <laughs> You know, I know you're a Michigan fan, so yeah, you're you're talking to the Wolverine guy, but uh, we should balance each other out then. So that's, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I uh, yeah. but yeah, jumping off of your points on a, a couple of the guys who stood out to you, to me, um, you know, uh, obviously we I talked about Payne some, but um, Petaway to me definitely was a guy who um, we had our podcast before the draft and talked about some guys who could really earn a spot, and uh, Petaway was one of them, and. The thing I was interested to see is, you know, I don't want to minimize his play at Nebraska, but for lack of a better word, he was kind of a ball hog. Um, And not to say that was bad because he was their best offensive player, most likely. But um, he ate up a lot of possessions. And the thing is, is that's not going to fly in the NBA unless you're LeBron James or uh, Kobe or something. And clearly Petaway is not. But but let me um, ask you this, Thomas. Mm-hmm. Don't you think he, – he wasn't exactly surrounded by a lot of good players. Oh, so yeah. I kind of up to him, don't you think? Oh, yeah, and I, I don't think um I don't think that was a bad thing for Nebraska necessarily, but what I was interested to see is if he could take this, you know, high-volume, high-usage play and minimize it into the role that he will have to fill in the NBA if he's going to be around long-term. And – um. I agree with you. I think he okay. did it pretty well. I think, um, you know, he could become a little bit more efficient, but he was tearing it up from three-point range in some of the games. Um, he was scoring. He was playing defense. And I he was rebounding, too, which is nice to see from a, a you know, two-guard, three-guard type of NBA prospect. And, um, right. you know, he was a guy, he was a guy who I, I think could I, – I think he probably will land on a roster, uh, to be honest. But – um. And I think uh, moving off of him, though, um, the other one that really, uh, to me, um, sort of surprised me and also, you know, it was kind of uh, exciting to see, but uh, Noah Vonley from uh, Indiana had a really nice performance, uh, especially in the oh, last yeah. couple of games. And, um, you know, yep. he was a guy who, uh, he, you know, he went to Indiana for one year. He played well, but he was on a bad uh, Hoosier team. And then he, uh, I shouldn't say bad, but not the best. And... Um, Goes pro after one year, gets picked up by Charlotte. Everybody kind of forgets about him, but um, got traded to Portland now. And um, you know, it seems like he might have found himself a landing spot uh, up there with the Trailblazers. Um, what were your reactions yeah. to Von? Yeah, yeah, I noticed that too. I was looking over your recaps. You know, like day eleven, he had twenty points, eight rebounds. Then day thirteen, he had twenty points. 
nine rebounds. Yeah, he's been coming on real strong near the end. And another guy, I don't even know who he is. He must be in the same category as Vonley is that Alex Len. I thought he kind of started coming on strong. What's his story? Yeah, and I mean to uh, to kind of you know that that probably isn't a a unique thing that uh, you don't recognize him as much because he actually played for Maryland before. <laughs> They joined the conference. So most Big Ten fans, that's probably a name they don't recognize. Um, when he, he played right. at Maryland, they weren't a great team, so it's not like they were in the national discussion. But um, he was kind of one of those guys who he, uh, he he played all right. He wasn't great, but the NBA guys loved his long-term potential. So he kind of was one of those, you know, a couple weeks before the draft, he was blowing up and all that. But, um, but yeah, he, mm-hmm. he played well. Um, he didn't. He didn't play a ton of minutes towards the end, but right. what he did right. was really effective. And um, you know that's great to see. Um, you know if the Terps could get a uh, a big time NBA contributor out of him. Yeah, definitely. And then uh, another kid I'm impressed with, and I hope he can land a spot with the Clippers. I don't know how loaded their lineup is. Is Brandon Dawson. Uh, you know, he started out great. I don't know, uh, you know, near the end, he, he didn't get as many minutes, but he started out like a house on fire, like day, <laughs> I think it was day four, early on, he had a four, uh, you know, a du- two double-doubles, all right? One game he had like 14 points, 11 rebounds. Next game he had 15 points, 11 rebounds. Is there room for him on the Clipper roster? You think? Um, you know they actually they actually picked him up, so he did make the roster uh, for the Clippers. Oh, um, super. yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Great, great news for um for Dawson and, and you know uh, Spartan fans. He um yeah. You know it's gonna it's gonna be tough to get minutes there. I think you're right there. Um, you know Clippers clearly are uh, you know a team. They're they're all in for the title, you know. That's that's where their mindset is right mm-hmm. now. Um, and I think, uh, you know, he he could be an interesting bench piece. Uh, we'll see. Um, he's going to have to fight for any minutes he gets there, obviously. But um, you know, right. it's great to see him get onto a roster because I know before the draft happened, there were a lot of people who didn't even think he'd get drafted, let alone signed. So um, you know, right. that's great news for him. But um, but yeah, jumping back um. Why don't we Why don't we take a second to talk about the the three big picks? Obviously, this year, uh, D'Angelo Russell, uh, Sam Decker, and Frank Kaminsky. Um, Decker actually didn't play much; uh, he was injured, um, so there's not really much to talk about there. But uh, Russell and Kaminsky did play. Um, what were your thoughts okay. on those two? Yeah, well, I once again I I didn't see him show up much in the latter stages, but early on, whatever playing time he got, he took full advantage of. I mean, he was scoring double-digit points, grabbing five, six, seven rebounds a game, you know, early on during the summer sessions. And maybe they they felt, oh, okay, we've seen enough. We don't need him to play anymore. And then uh, D'Angelo Russell, uh, I think he posted it on day 14 recap. Had 21 points for the Lakers in in that game. I know you you say take everything with a grain of salt. You know they're not going against 
the best of the best, obviously, but he definitely stood out, don't you think? I think, um, yeah, and just to jump back to Kaminsky for a second, um, I thought mm-hmm. he played really well. Um, again, you know, like you were saying, take it with a grain of salt. Um, he was obviously, you know, he was the best player in college basketball. So when he's playing with college-ish equivalent players, clearly, you know, it's not too, too surprising to think Kaminsky, you know, plays really well. Um, right. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how he progresses, you know, next season, whether – He's already reached his potential, or if he can get better. I know that was the big concern coming in, but I think um, I think he's definitely at least added a lot of excitement uh, for Charlotte fans. Um, but yeah, jumping back to Russell, you know, I had mixed thoughts on his performance. You know, some people thought he was just uh, really exciting. You know, when he did make plays, other people kind of they really ripped on his efficiency, which. You know, I think you can look back. He did have some games in college as well where he, you know, he put up nice numbers, but his efficiency wasn't all that great. Um, right. you know, I, I think um, I think he showed the flashes that you'd expect out of a one-and-done guy who really, you know, at, at Ohio State, he was he was the do-it-all guy. You know, they, they needed him to do everything because that's that's what how they won. <laughs> and um, Yeah, yeah. You know, you know yeah, I, I but think another he, thing. Yeah, another thing to consider, though, I mean, this kid's only, what, 19 years old? Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I mean, he's he's young. So, yeah, he's going to show inconsistent play, brilliance of flashes. But I think Kobe Bryant is the perfect mentor for him. Don't don't you? Oh, I, I agree. And, and that's kind of the thing I was hinting at, too, was that you know, I, I don't think it should be disappointing or surprising that he was a little inconsistent just because, you know, the reason the Lakers picked him at number two isn't because they think he's an all-star player right now. It's because they think he can be a superstar in a couple of years. And I I didn't see yeah. anything I didn't see anything in the summer league that says he's not. Um, I think it showed that he still has some more work before he's going to be that, you know, really productive starter. Um, but I mm-hmm. definitely think flashes that you know this kid when he's when he gets on he's going to be uh, a really fun player to watch in the nba um yeah i but, i agree i mean give him two or three years you know kobe will play you know one or two more years and and then he'll have been mentored and trained and understands the nba system and i think two to three years from now he, he will be an exciting player to watch. There's no doubt. And I think he'll yeah, de- fit right in there. Yeah, I definitely agree. And um, while we uh, while we finish up here talking about the Summer League, um, one thing I did, I did want to uh, talk about, though, um, were a few of the players who did uh, disappoint. Um, you know, obviously not everybody had a, right. <laughs> a great performance. Right. Um, were, were there any guys that, yeah. uh, that jumped? to you uh, is underperforming? Yeah. Uh, the one bummer for me was Travis Trice. I, I, I just don't know if he got enough minutes or what the problem was. He's always had a confidence issue. I mean, that was recognizable at Michigan State when he got benched in the middle of the year. You know, even Izzo kind of lost confidence in him. And just me personally, he's from my hometown, I've watched him play basketball since he was like eighth or ninth grade. 
So I was really hoping he'll land would land a spot. So maybe he's going to have to do the developmental league or go overseas or, you know, or maybe just get on with his life. I don't know. Yeah. I, um, the, the guy who really stood out to me, or I should say didn't stand out, um, was a uh, Ravante rice from Illinois. Um, I know he didn't get a lot of pre-draft chatter and I know, um, you know, people weren't expecting him to come in and just light it up, but um, he didn't right. really play much. When he saw the floor, he wasn't all that great. Um, and that was kind of a disappointing one to me because I, I always felt like he was an all-Big Ten type of player during his career, but he never really was on the right team or not to say Illinois was bad, but I, I just think, you know, if he would if you would have thrown him on some other teams, you know, maybe – he would have got a lot of more of attention and what to me he deserved. Um, but that was a disappointing, um, you know, maybe he'll be back uh, next season and uh, shake it up. Um, but I guess uh, the last, the last thing I want to talk about before we move on, because it's always the hottest topic is uh, Aaron craft. Um, for some reason, everybody has a diehard yeah. opinion on Aaron. Kraft. <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah. what well, on craft, do you think yeah. he's going to make a roster? Because I I no. get angry stuff from people all the time about it. So go no. ahead. No, no, no. He, uh, you know, he he does garner a lot of hype, and he's a great defensive player. But what I saw of him, that he, he can't finish. He can drive, penetrate, but can't finish. He'll miss the layup or he'll turn it over. He's a great defensive player. Great kid, but uh, and he didn't, you know, there were games he didn't even play this summer. And then he didn't he, like, transfer to some other team in the middle of the summer league? Started out with one team transferring. Not, really didn't get much playing time there. Uh, I think he needs to pursue something else myself. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I know early on he did have a little bit of an injury, which kind of limited him. But um, he was one of the guys, I think he did it last year too, but he played in the Orlando League and then he also played in Vegas. Um, not a okay. ton of guys do it, but um, I guess it's a chance to you know try out for two teams instead of just one. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, you know, I, I'd like to sit here and say, you know, Kraft is going to make a roster. Um, you know, Buckeye fans get excited, et cetera, et cetera. But I just kind of get that feeling he's going to be stuck in that perennial spot where he's almost on a roster. He's just good enough, but a team doesn't want to take a a spot for him just because, um, you know, to be frank, I don't think he has that high upside. I think his potential is the guy down the bench who can come in and kind of play cleanup duty. Um, And that's not a bad thing. I mean, getting in in the NBA is extremely hard. Let's let's (laughs) Uh, right. Let's not act like it's something easy, but I just, you know, if if you take for instance him versus a Turan Petaway, uh for instance. Petaway oh, has yeah. the upside. You could see him, you could see him becoming a nice bench contributor, come in, nail a couple threes, play some defense, a couple rebounds, and then go back on the bench. But Kraft, I I just don't see him being a spark off the bench. I see him just being a, you know, fill this run a couple minutes off the clock for lack of a better way of saying it um and go back yeah. on the bench and yeah i'm just i i i, I agree oh, go i he, he's just he has no offensive repertoire 
He does not know how to create. He cannot. He's not athletic enough to create for himself on the offensive end. So, I mean, what what use is he for any NBA team? I'm I'm not not you know trying to badmouth him or anything. He was a brilliant college player, but not all college players translate to the NBA. NBA is all about athleticism, athleticism, athleticism. How high is this guy's ceiling? What's his potential? The, those are the guys they're looking at, don't you think? Yeah, I think um and and you know I I, I don't wanna, you know, say that, you know, Kraft is you know, there's a ceiling and he's locked out because, you know, he was one of those guys where he improved in the D League and um, he really was on the cusp of getting a roster spot, but you okay. know, he wasn't great. He wasn't, but he wasn't great in the summer league. Um, I don't think even supporters would deny that. And um, you know, the thing is, is coming close is nice, but you still didn't get there. Um, not to you know, right. again, not to minimize it, but the thing is, is you really do wonder, um, you know, if he's going to be able to come around. You know. Maybe it maybe he does get picked up during next season. You know, maybe there's an injury or something. But um, at, at this point, I, I think he's gonna uh, fall just short. Um, we'll see if that changes. But um, you know, obviously there'll be a there'll be a huge group uh, supporting him if he does uh, <laughs> get in. Oh yeah, heck yeah, Buckeye Nation will be thrilled. I I I, I just wish I was hoping he would be able to develop more as an offensive player. His defense, he's a lockdown defender. There's no arguing that. He's cerebral. He sees the floor. He's the consummate point guard. But he just lacks that offensive energy. Yeah, I think, um, you know, and that, and that's one of the things that I always did, uh, not to get too off track, but I always did get a little annoyed is when people undersold him as a defender in college. Um, you know, the, the two, the two games that always stood out to me, um, I believe it was 2012, 13 season when him and Trey Burke went head to head for those two games. And, um, yeah, well, yeah. You know, Trey, Trey Burke was outstanding. I mean, he's, he's, I'll say he was the best player I ever watched personally in college. Um, you know, I know I didn't see everyone, but, um, he was just fantastic and, uh, Kraft didn't shut him down, but. He slowed him down, and to do that to that kind of player, um, to me, just proved every bit of the talk he got on defense. But um, yeah, yeah. But um, with that, with that, why don't we why don't we jump over to talk a little bit about um, the second part of our podcast here uh, to talk about some scheduling announcements. Um, the teams are gradually starting to put out their um, their non conference schedules. Uh, the Big Ten announcement will come later this season, where we'll know who's playing, who, when, and so on. Um, but uh, the non-conference ones are coming out. I think we're almost to half of the teams have released their non-conference schedule. But um, okay. earlier earlier today, Illinois released theirs, um, and it kind of got some mixed reactions. Um, it the thing the thing about it is it's it's a solid schedule, but it doesn't have you know the big names. There's no Duke. There's no Kentucky. Uh, you know, there's no type right. of those grabbing teams. And I think, um, and I, and I thought it would be an interesting topic to bring up because I think a lot of people have different perceptions about what makes a good schedule, what doesn't make a good, uh, schedule. Um, and, and for me, um, not to, not to give away everything right now, but, uh, 
I uh, I thought it was a really good schedule for Illinois, considering where they are. Um, mm-hmm. and, and to and to kind of spin off of this, um, you know, when you for you, what what makes a good schedule? Do you need that huge marquee game, or is it more about quality opponents, games that can add to your resume? Um, you know, maybe yeah. you know playing some zone teams or so on. Um, what what do you look for? You know, when you know you said you're an Ohio State fan. Um, when the Ohio State Buckeyes come out with their schedule or so on. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's a fine line. It really is. It's a fine line. You want to play in them marquee preseason tournaments in Puerto Rico and all over the country. And and if you win, great. That just uh, jacks up your, your uh, strength of schedule. If you lose a close one, it doesn't make you look that bad. Then the other side of the coin, you get these teams that are teetering on getting into the NCAA tournament at the end of the year, yeah, you, you want to post 20 wins. So maybe you might go with a little lighter schedule to get the, you know, every school is different. Uh, you know, Izzo, Izzo loves to play everybody and anybody. And by the end of December, they're uh, 12 and eight or, or you, you know what I mean? Their record's not that impressive, but, He's preparing his team for, you know, that that NCAA tournament run. And, and it just seems like it happens every year. They always get off to a slow start. They're, they got a tough non-conference schedule. But, boy, it pays dividends come March. And, and I think Ohio State's the same way. They, they, they play in these marquee uh, tournaments, and, and they're fun to watch. And, hey, so what? You know, they get – blown out or beat whatever it prepares them for the tournament that's about all i i can say on that you know every school is different you got to go by your needs you know if you're a bubble team no you don't want to start your november december off with duke north carolina and kansas you want to start it out with uh acorn a&m or <laughs> you know, whoever. <laughs> yeah, I I agree, and I and I'm happy you brought up uh, not only Michigan State, but the needs of the team because I think that's I think that's yeah. an important thing that a lot of people forget is, you know, because I brought up Michigan State. You know, I was talking to a couple people about this online today, and um, <laughs> you know, and I I got a lot of pushback when I said that I really liked Illinois' schedule. A lot of people, you know, talking about, you know, you need to challenge yourself, you need to face these top teams, you know, set the bar, et cetera. And I think the classic example of that is Izzo. And not not because he schedules the toughest teams every week, but because he schedules the top of the top. You know, they actually, you know, a little known fact that a lot of people forget is last season, you know, they played 13 non-conference games. Michigan State only played three top 100 teams. Now, those top 100 teams were Notre Dame, Kansas, and Duke, and none of them came at home, which are extremely difficult games. But yeah. outside of those three, they didn't have a ton there. And and the thing is, is that works for Michigan State because Michigan State has made the tournament for what, like 20 years in a row, or you know, some ridiculous number. But um, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to get there. So them. Testing against these top teams prepares them because they know where they are. 
you know, Izzo can kind of beat up on them and then sort of rebuild them during the season. But, you know, for Illinois, I don't think they're, they're not in the same situation. You know, they haven't made the tournament the last couple of years, and Gross is probably on the hot seat. So the thing is, is mm-hmm. they, they, they can't risk facing Kansas, you know, on the road and getting blown out because it's going to hurt their RPI. It's going to hurt their chance to get into the door. And the thing is, is yep. if they don't get in the door, it, they can't use that experience. Yeah, and it's going to hurt player morale, you know? Mm-hmm. It, I, I yeah. totally agree. And the thing is, is like it, it, it doesn't hurt state, Michigan State, because Tom Izzo has, is such a good coach. You know, he, he knows what to do to get him motivated. But I, I don't think you want to risk that. Not to say Gross isn't a good coach, but – He's not Tom Izzo. I think I think we know that. <laughs> right, right. And, and uh, 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 kind of piggybacking on what you're saying, uh, uh, a thing I like about Thad Matta and, and OSU, and, and the football program does the same thing. They Their preseason schedule, they, they don't mind playing like MAC teams or other Ohio teams just to draw interest. And nothing to do with RPI or their rankings, and yeah, they're favored to win by twenty. But uh, they 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 like this OSU athletic department likes to schedule teams within the state of Ohio just for whatever reason that that's their their thing. Yeah, and I and I think that's another part of it too. You know, scheduling teams that are going to help your program, so on and so forth. And and the thing for me about about Illinois is, um, you know, not to keep repeating the same point, but um, you know, they they're gonna right. unless they're a very surprise team, either good or bad, they're gonna be on the bubble. That's pretty much mm-hmm. what they look like. And and the thing is, is you know, they're facing teams like Providence, Notre Dame, um, you know, potentially Iowa State, uh, Missouri, which all all of those teams probably will be all right, but none of them are unbeatable. And I, I think that's right. a big difference because if you can grab a win over Notre Dame, you can grab a win over Iowa State, teams like that, that's yeah. going to add a lot to a bubble team. But if yeah. they have instead yeah. that a lot to Duke, I, I don't know what that really adds you know, for the committee when they're looking at it. Right. Right. I don't, I don't think it adds anything. Like you said, you, you can get a, 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 a win over a lesser opponent from another Big Five conference. That, that, that's got a way more than uh, a blowout over Acorn A&M or whoever else you're playing. You know what I mean? Like, for example, Ohio State beats uh, Kansas State, all right? They're not a big basketball power, but, you know, they do compete in the Big 12, and they got the win. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. that's the thing to me, too, is, uh, you know, and, and again, not to say, you know, fans have to get excited over these, you know, kind of middling opponents. You know, you can be upset if you don't have, you know, a big game at home. But you're being upset about, you know, the home schedule, not about how it's going to help the team. And I think, um, you know, a, a, another example of that is Illinois. They're going to play Yale this year. When you hear Yale, you're typically not thinking basketball powerhouse. Yeah. You know, you're you're right. not thinking that. Right. But 
what a lot of people don't know is Yale was actually a decent team last year. They weren't great, but they were good enough that if you beat them, you would get a little boost. And the thing is, is okay. you know, Illinois, you know, for instance, would play Yale instead of playing Central Michigan A and M Tech, you know, et cetera, right. insert right. random yeah. school, because you yep. know when you beat a, a 200 plus RPI team, it adds basically nothing. You beat like a top 100 ish team that actually will add, you know, to your resume. And the thing is, is yep. Illinois has set up a couple of these where they're they're not good <laughs> enough to be a real challenge, most likely. But they are good enough to get the boost. And the thing is, is that's great to me. To me, that's great scheduling for a team like Illinois, who looks like they're on the bubble. You know, now for yeah. a Michigan State, a Maryland, um, a team like that, yeah, go challenge. You know, because you're going to get enough Big Ten wins to get in. But yep, for for a team that may not get in if they don't have these extra couple wins, I. For me personally, I even if I was an Illinois fan, I think I would be pretty happy with the schedule. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? Another uh, comparison is Northwestern. Okay, they're one of those bubble teams. Uh, Chris Collins is trying to build that program up, and uh, and then and then you got Minnesota. Those teams do not have to be playing Duke and North Carolina to get into the NCAA tournament. They need to play other schools from other big five conferences that are middle of the road, middle of the pack. If they win it, great. If they lose by two or three points, so be it. They they have a chance because once they get into the Big Ten, they're going to have a tough time. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, and I'm happy you brought up Northwestern too because um, – you know, I, I had a couple people who, you know, brought up, oh, you know, Illinois, this schedule is just about, you know, avoiding the top teams, avoiding the big challenges, which, you know, as I talked about, I don't think is true. I just think they're not facing the top of the top. But Northwestern, you know, like you talked about, I, I don't think there is much on the bubble because I'm not as high on them. But, you know, there are people who think they're close, and yet they have put together – probably the worst Big Ten non-conference schedule I've ever seen in my life. And and the oh, thing is, wow. is yeah, they, they play nobody. I mean, unless they get, uh, you know, they're in a, a um, non-conference tournament, and unless they get seeded against the right team, they're literally not going to play a good team. And, and the yeah. thing is, is they're, they're going to rack up this great record, but it's not going to mean yeah. anything because it's going to be against all terrible teams. Right, but doesn't that uh, 20-12 and 12 record still look good, even if you are 9-9 uh, nine and nine in the Big Ten or not? You know, I, you know and that's, a, that's an interesting debate to get into as well, because I know there's a lot of people who talk about, well, you know, you do need to get to kind of around that 20-win window or, you know, so on and so forth. And uh, you know, I, I think generally, you know, it is true. You know, you have to get kind of in that that range, you know, that you're talking about. Um, right. But but I I have to think, you know, you you have to beat some good teams to get it. <laughs> right. I mean, well, you hey, know, if you go, but, hey, if you Tom, if you go nine and nine in the Big Ten, obviously you beat some good teams. And plus, by then yeah, and we're I mean, talking January. 
You know, I mean, November, December, all teams are struggling. They don't even know their rotations yet. They don't even know, have a set starting lineup for the most part. And, you know, it's all trial and error. But, boy, once that Big Ten season starts, you better have your act together as far as your rotation, your starting lineup, and, and you know, the strategy involved, you know, whoever you're going up against, whether it be a small lineup, a big lineup, you know, that kind of detail. Mm-hmm. And and but, I think that it, uh, that's definitely true. And, and ultimately, you know, like you're saying, you know, if you perform in the Big Ten, especially this year with this year's Big Ten, you're going to get in. Mm-hmm. But the thing yeah. is, is I, I think, you know, that important thing we're talking about is, you know, you can set yourself up and give yourself some leeway, you know, if you have a win over a Notre Dame, if you have a win over a Providence. But if you have a win over, you know, uh, you know, NTSU Tech. Uh, <laughs> yeah, North Carolina at and <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm trying to throw in random names here just to kind of illustrate my point. But, um, you right. know, because... Because the thing is, is once, you know, in terms of the RPI, at least in my opinion, once you're out of a certain range, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, if that team's worse or better, it doesn't really matter unless, because the one argument I I will say on a flip side is I know Ohio State does this. Um, I'm not sure every team does it, but they will schedule some of their bottom teams just because they run a certain system and they want to get used to that system. Um, You know, like I was saying, like a zone or, you know, things like that. And um, mm-hmm. which, which I mean, given Ohio State success, you know, maybe that has helped them some. But um, you know, I I really think the the bottom line here is just that you know these games should be scheduled you know for a purpose. And I realize everyone's going to have yeah. some filler. You're going to have a couple games where you just have to schedule you know your in state you know lower teams you know stuff like that. Right. But um, but. To me, you know, if you're scheduling games to get blown out and you're a bubble team, it just doesn't make sense. You know, if you're if you're a top team and you're scheduling no one, it doesn't make sense. And I just think the bottom line is scheduling, you need to look at it from that team's perspective and not <laughs> these overall Exactly. You, know, you need Duke. Yep. You need and, and, Yep. That, and that's where the AD and the head coach need to be in concert with each other. And it varies from year to year. Who 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 knows? With Jalen Coleman Lambs in Illinois, you know, two years from now, yeah, maybe they'll be ready to take on uh, Syracuse or somebody of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, and I I think that's the big thing that I'm trying to stress, and I think a lot of people overlook is you know there isn't this narrative, this perfect mold that's right for every team, you know, you know, for every, you know, and a, and a good example to me is, you know, a lot of people are under this belief, you know, that, you know, that Michigan state sort of as an equation, because they play these good teams at the beginning of the year, that's why they become good. And the thing is, is by that logic, all you should have to do is schedule really good teams and lose. And then you become a final four team. But we know that is not true. (laughs) You know, and, right, and again, he's an exception. Yeah, he's yeah, lot, an exception to the rule. Yeah, and and the thing yeah. is, is you know, he uh, it's because you have Tom Izzo. You know, if Tom Izzo scheduled bad teams at the beginning of the year, I still bet they would be good because you have Tom Izzo as your head coach. And and the right, thing is, is you right. know, 
we can't hold everyone to that standard. The Tom Izzo, you know, you have to play everyone tough. No. Or, uh, you know, an, another team that's been scheduling tough lately has been Michigan. You know, you don't have to. Um, oh, yeah, they always do. Right? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, they always have a rugger schedule. They're always mm-hmm. in these big preseason tournaments. Even if it doesn't matter. It, I mean, I don't know. You know more about it than I do. But it seems like every time I turn on the TV, yeah, Michigan's playing in Puerto Rico, Hawaii, Vegas, wherever, uh, and they at least have one or two or three big, 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 big games. Yeah, and, and you know, that that works for Michigan because, you know, they have John Beeline. They they generally recruit and develop well, you know. And, um, and, and another thing, too, is um, – you know, this is kind of getting a little off topic, but, you know, for some of those games, right. you know, they schedule in Brooklyn. You know, Michigan has a huge alumni base there, so it's almost like a home game, you know, for them, even though they're playing uh, away from I didn't know that. Really? Yeah. So a lot of people – wow, <laughs> Brooklyn, New York uh, are, has a lot of uh, Michigan grads? Yeah, you know, these certain schools, uh. it seems like they pop up, you know, certain places. And and Michigan has a uh, – that's one of the areas, you know, they have a strong alum base. And, like, it, they played uh, West cool. Virginia there, I want to say, two, three years ago. And um, it was like a home game, you know, for Michigan. And uh-huh. the thing is, is, you know, that may not work for Nebraska, but maybe Nebraska can do it in Omaha or Las Vegas and have a home yeah, game. Yeah, Vegas. You know? Yeah. It's just – it just all depends, yeah. you know. And I think um, the bottom line, not to keep repeating it, but you know, I think if you're a fan and your schedule gets released and you look at it and you don't see, you know, UCLA or you know, Kansas, one of these huge, don't don't immediately freak out and think you have a bad schedule because for your team right. where where they're sitting, it might be a good one. Um, but yeah, uh, and, yeah I, I, and especially. Oh, and especially in the Big Ten, we are one of the top one, two, or three conferences. I know we had a down year, but year in and year out, the Big Ten is awesome in basketball, and and that alone allows you the liberty to not have to play UCLA, Duke, Kansas every year during the non-conference schedule because. You're going to gain merit just by the fact that you're playing in the Big Ten. Oh yeah, and I and I think that that's a good point to bring up uh, to kind of wrap up here. But um, yeah, you know, hey. for instance, last last season, everybody got to play Wisconsin once. You're guaranteed a top five game, you know, at least once. And this year, you know, mm-hmm. with Maryland, I mean, with Maryland, Indiana, yeah. Michigan, Purdue, Michigan. Yeah. You know, maybe with Wisconsin, yeah. you know, you're going to get a lot of top 25 opponents. So the thing is, is yep. you don't have to schedule the best of the best. You can schedule right below that, you know, if you need to. Yeah. Um, yeah. But let me ask you one question, all right? That, that I'm getting off track here a little bit, but it still deals with non-conference. What's your take on the Gavit tip-off games? Do, um, do you, do you well, like the way it was scheduled for this first year? You know, I I have I have mixed mixed thoughts on it. I mean, first off, I'm excited the event is going to happen. Uh you know, to begin. Um I know we we did a podcast with uh the Big East uh site uh I wanna say 
couple months ago, so uh, it's kind of dated mm-hmm. now. <laughs> but um, you know, I'm excited the event's going to be there because I think um, you know people like these challenges. They like to you know know the conferences are competing. Um, and the Big East mm-hmm. obviously, you know, I I know they they had that whole thing where they kind of split up or whatever a couple years ago, but they're still a good conference. Um, and they have some big teams. Right. Um, I will I will say though. I think they could have done a lot better with the matchups. Um, yeah, and I, think, I agree. And I think excluding a lot of the teams, including some of the bigger ones, was a mistake. Um, mm. But but the and to kind of illustrate my my point here a little bit, um, one of one of the games that is occurring is Nebraska against Villanova. And on first first thought, Villanova was a number one seed in the tournament last year. You know they may have not mm-hmm. made the final anything but they were a very very good team and um nebraska did not make the nit these are the teams <laughs> that you're next year and nebraska goes on the road to villanova it you're just making yeah. setting it up to have a blowout which to me yeah if, if you're scheduling this event why why would you do that it just it doesn't make well, sense to me no it doesn't and you'd think being the inaugural event You'd have Ohio State, Wisconsin, Michigan State playing. Uh, I know that I can't remember all the matchups, but the one you mentioned, and I noticed like two or three, I'm going, wow, these games are going to be blowouts. It's not even close. So, yeah, yeah I don't understand. You'd think being the inaugural event, you'd have Michigan State against Villanova. You'd have Ohio State against... I don't know Xavier or somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I would have loved to see Ohio State Xavier. You know, I know there isn't a you know an, a historic rivalry there, but I think anytime you have in in state powers, you know, battling, in, it's yeah, fun. yeah, that would have been a very intriguing matchup. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, and I, I know I, I know you know as a Michigan fan, we're playing Xavier um, next season in this event. But, you know, I, I I think that's an exciting event to be in Ann Arbor, but it would have been a lot more fun if it was Ohio State, just due to the in-state, you know, nature. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah outside of that, I, I think that kind of generally wraps up our, our scheduling here. I know there's endless topics on this, but um, one, one last thing I did want to touch on, because we don't touch on it that often, but I read an article a couple weeks okay. on it. Um. It was essentially, uh, I believe it was Crimson Quarry, which is our Indiana site on SB Nation. So um, if you're an right. Indiana fan, check them out. They have uh, they have solid stuff. Um, I don't always agree with their opinions, but uh, but nonetheless, they they do a good job of covering Indiana. And the one article they did was essentially calling for Indiana's AD and Kentucky's AD to just get over whatever has set this up and get Indiana-Kentucky back on the schedule. Um and I am curious what your opinion on this. I am massively in favor of this. Um, you know, the dispute originally was kind of Kentucky wanted it to be at a neutral site. Indiana wanted it to be home and home. So they alternate each year. Um, what What are your thoughts on that? Do you think it should come back? Do you think they should just move on, um, schedule somebody else? No, no, I, I like it. I mean, any bad what basketball fan wouldn't love to see Indiana, Kentucky play, at, you know, every year home and home. 
I, I, I think it would be exciting for college basketball. We need that. We, you know, uh, college football does a nice job uh, of trying to set up games like that. Uh, Indiana, Kentucky, that would be awesome. And Indiana, they're 20, you know, I'm working on some stuff right now. Their 2015 class is awesome. And uh, I, Indiana, I tell you what, the, if they don't do something this year, I know Maryland's head and shoulders above the rest, but Indiana is right there on the second tier with uh, Michigan State, uh, Purdue, Ohio State, you know. So, yeah, I, I love seeing classics like that. Yeah, I um I I think they they need to bring it back and frankly every year that they wait is just a kind of a shame. Um and and at least for me, I mean, you know, Indiana was not a great team last year, but they were pretty good and how great would it have been if that was the year, you know, undefeated Kentucky, number 1 uh again had to go into assembly hall and try to get a win there. I know everybody remembers a couple years ago when Christian Watford hit that three. <laughs> Indiana knocks off Anthony Davis in Kentucky. Uh, instant classic, you know, as soon as it happened. Right, um, right. And, and the thing is, is yeah. you know, it's not the same if, if, you know, if Indiana does that to, um, you know, Michigan or, you know, somebody else. You know, it's it's special because of that rivalry. And I and I think, you know, you know, I'm not an Indiana fan. I'm not a Kentucky fan. But that's just a game that I think should be back on the schedule. And, you know, especially early season college basketball, um, you know, there's always criticism that, you know, it's not interesting enough. Nobody cares until March, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I disagree with it, but if you yeah. put a game like that on the schedule, TV clickers are going to be changing the channel oh. to watch. And, um, oh, yeah. You know, Two brilliant story <laughs> programs. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't get any better. Exactly. And, and yeah. that's what I like about the Big Ten ACC challenge, you know, you get to see some matchups that are classics. You know what I mean? ESPN instant classics. Oh yeah, I mean you you knew last year, even be- when they originally announced it, that Duke Wisconsin game was going to be awesome. Wisconsin, yeah. And, and yeah. surprise, surprise, that was the national championship game a couple months later. And and the thing yeah. is, is, you know, these these events get that interest because. They're big matchups. Everyone knows the teams. They know the players, the coaches. And, uh, you know, Indiana, Kentucky, those states live and die on basketball. And I yeah. I, I, just think they need to bring it back. But, um, yeah. But yeah, that, uh, that, that I guess that kind of wraps up our, our scheduling discussion here. And, um, Tim, thanks for joining us uh, for the podcast here. Um, once again, to, to everybody else, uh, make sure to check out Tim's recruiting post on Friday morning. Really easy to follow. You don't have to know everything. Um and you'll get kind of a sense of what's going on. But uh Tim, thanks for uh thanks for joining us and thanks to everyone for checking us out. Bye. All right. All right. Thanks for having me, Thomas.